Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, book lovers. Want to hear a story? Hey, book lovers. Welcome back to Storytime with M. This is a mini episode from M's Books and Cats podcast where I have been sharing my books with you, some of the older ones, a chapter or so a week. And it's finally time for season three. <laughs> I'm a little behind when I wanted this to come out, but better late than never. And here we are. <laughs> so, season three, we are going to be covering one of my older books. It is called The Last Witch. It was actually originally intended to be part of a series, and who knows, maybe I will fall in love with it again and continue that series once the Verdant Valley series is over, because I'm kind of very involved in that one right now, (laughs) which you can check out on the main episodes of M's Books and Cats podcast every week, at least the very, very, very rough drafts. (laughs) Anyway, this is The Last Witch, and this week is chapter one. Enjoy. The house at 1558 Bellevale Road was a rambling old Victorian. Its once graceful silhouette had been warped out of shape by numerous additions of indeterminate age and time period. The obscure structure sat upon 15 acres of sprawling bog, surrounded by a forest of gnarled and ancient trees. The finishing touch was a backyard filled with lush, colorful gardens that seemed to glow against the muted green leaves of an enormous hedge maze. The house itself was massive and ancient. The floorboards groaned underfoot, and the room smelled dusty and stale. There were hundreds of secret passageways and false walls. According to legend, the previous owner had been a thin little man with a large round head. I always imagined his ghoulish form slipping away down the dark secret passages for hushed meetings with mysterious visitors in the night. As a little girl, I wandered the passages and searched for the monsters from the stories. I wanted proof they were real. Everyone in school knew the tales, and I was teased mercilessly. I needed to find something to protect me from their cruel taunts. I was five when I moved into the house with my great-grandmother, Valencia Valdala. Valencia was eccentric and strange. She wandered the halls and muttered to herself while her fingers wove invisible pictures in the air. Her body was wiry and strong, though she was 94 the summer of my 16th birthday. She liked to be alone and rarely spoke to me, though when she did, she seemed to like me well enough. Valencia took me in after my parents died in a car crash. I had been visiting her when it happened. I often try to remember them, but the memories are fragmented and infrequent. I remember the shape of my mother's face, but the details are fuzzy and out of focus. My father was nothing more than a scent, a certain aftershave or soap. I smelled it once in a department store when I was ten, and it knocked me down. I came to in the employee lounge where Valencia was hovering over me, anxiously gripping my hand and yelling at the paramedics. The locals think the house is haunted. It stood empty for decades. Many people tried to live there, but no one ever stayed for very long. A doctor lived there for a short time in the 80s. He had a lot of gambling debts and finally went crazy one night and cut up his wife. He kept her body in a giant walk-in freezer that composed one of the uglier additions to the house, 
It jutted off the western corner like a big metal boil. Her ghost was rumored to haunt the addition and walk the halls every night precisely at 2.14 a.m. I stayed up for days after I heard that tale. I would creep quietly through the shadows and wait by the freezer door, but I never saw her. There were many rooms in the house that Valencia had deemed off-limits, but the freezer wasn't one of them. She just never used it. It was only slightly cooler than the rest of the house and wouldn't actually keep anything frozen. Valencia had filled it floor to ceiling with her stuffed animal collection. She had dogs, cats, monkeys, and jaguars. The largest was a massive grizzly bear with teeth that looked like long, glistening knives. Its claws were longer than my hand and looked razor sharp. I only saw the inside of the freezer once. I had heard the kids at school talking about the doctor and his wife. I ran home and went straight to the freezer. I wanted to see if anything weird would happen. Nothing did. The room just seemed sad, filled with death and left to gather dust. The grizzly was the only thing that frightened me. It haunted my dreams for months. It was alive again and hunting me. Wherever I went, it was always just behind, and I would feel its hot breath on my neck just before waking in a cold sweat. The kids at school kept away from me, as if the house had tainted me with its grisly past. In addition to the rumored haunting, Valencia was deemed a witch, because she went about talking to herself and glaring at anyone who dared to meet her eye. She dressed in dark robes and long flowing skirts, and her hair was a halo of gray frizz. I had once asked her to tone down her eccentric behaviors, but she only looked at me with a rare, beaming smile. Let them talk, dear. It's good for the imagination. I did most of the errands myself to avoid more speculation and walked into town at least once a day. The house was located at the end of a mile-long drive that twisted through the tall pine trees surrounding the house. The driveway joined a dirt road that led into town. At the corner sat the only house within miles of ours a large brick monstrosity dotted with windows like numerous sleepless eyes. It stood empty until that summer. I had just turned 16, celebrating this milestone birthday with a small store-bought cake that I purchased myself. Valencia serenaded me with her crackly voice, and when I blew out the candles, I made a wish. I had never done that before. My 16th birthday was different. The end of 10th grade was approaching and the summer loomed before me. The other kids still avoided me, my name was something that could only be spoken in hushed tones amidst a tight group of bodies as they huddled together against the lonely outsiders. During that entire school year, only four students had even said hello to me. One was Tiffany Brenwick, the bubbly blonde whose smile was like a flame, attracting other students to her like moths. There was almost a choreography to the jostling of bodies as they tried to each position themselves closest to her. She was nice to everyone, and she made a point of saying hello to those of us who could not be accepted into her sphere. I was thinking about Tiffany, who had already been assured a place on the varsity cheerleading squad next year, as I trudged home carrying two bags of groceries in my backpack. As I neared our driveway, I noticed a large moving van parked outside the house on the corner. Two burly men, in Rick's moving company t-shirts and dirty jeans, were hefting a sofa, while a tiny, beetle-like woman scuttled back and forth, nervously giving them directions. There was a squeal from inside the house, and a teenage boy raced out the front door, carrying his little sister on his shoulders. She flung her arms in the air and screamed with wild joy as he ran across the lawn toward the edge of the forest. The mother paused and shot a frightened look at her children, before smiling and turning back to the two Goliaths, still grunting under the weight of her floral-printed sofa. The boy swung his sister down to the grass, and she ran to embrace her mother. 
He looked at me, and I blushed and quickly looked away. I'd grown used to being ignored and reacted with terror when someone actually looked at me. His eyes were a startling light blue. Keeping my own eyes on the road, I walked a little faster. The bags were heavy. I had planned to stop and rest at the corner before continuing up the drive, and my shoulders were burning. The handles of the bags were cutting into my palms, and my fingers were numb. I heard footsteps. When I looked up, the boy was walking beside me. His smile was a flash of white in his tan, handsome face. He brushed a strand of golden hair from his eyes and reached out to take my bags. Here, let me take those. They look heavy. My name's Blade. Blade? I couldn't hide my surprise. My old man's idea. He sighed and shook his head. Long story. We walked along in silence. I knew I needed to say something, but I hadn't spoken with anyone other than Valencia in years. I struggled for words, any words to end the silence, but they wouldn't come. I listened instead to the sound of our footsteps. We were walking in sync, our steps beating out a simple rhythm. He laughed out loud suddenly and I jumped. The sound was so light and foreign, surrounded by the heaviness of the trees. You're a quiet one, huh? No problem. I can talk forever. I hope you don't mind. He flashed me another pearly white smile. I don't mind, I squeaked. I'm Casey. He was very handsome. His arm accidentally brushed up against mine and my heart jumped into my throat. He talked without pausing until we reached the house. At the door, he handed me my bags and bowed like someone out of a Jane Austen novel. Nice to meet you, Casey. I hope we'll see each other again soon. Another flash of smile and he was off. His shoulders were broad under his gray t-shirt and I couldn't tear my eyes away. I watched until he rounded the curve in the driveway and disappeared from view. Valencia was watching from the window above. The curtain fell back as I looked up and I was certain at that moment that I would never see Blade again. He must have seen Valencia's witch-like face hovering over us like impending doom. He would soon meet other kids in town and hear the stories. He would be relieved that he had survived that brief encounter, and I would be forgotten. I went back to my usual summer pursuits. I read, wrote in my journal, and wandered the halls of the house. I made my daily pilgrimage to town to buy things for Valencia. I don't think she needed most of them. She hoped that I would make friends if I kept going into town, as if I could be absorbed into a group just by walking past them every day. She didn't know the anguish it caused me passing them day after day as they sprawled outside the doors of the grocery store. The boys attempted tricks on their skateboards while the girls watched and giggled together. As I approached, their eyes would skid over me, stop for a brief moment, and then look away. I was forgotten as soon as I passed. My feet could never move fast enough when I was leaving, though approaching always felt slow, like walking underwater. I hadn't seen any of the inhabitants of the brick house since that first day. But there were signs of those who dwelt inside. A bike was left in a heap on the lawn with its pink and silver tassels raised into the air like a flag. There was a skateboard abandoned on the front steps, and bright pansies and marigolds lined the front walk. Once I thought I saw a curtain on the upstairs window fall back into place as I passed, and I imagined Blade watching me through a small gap in the fabric. It made my heart race, and I kept my eyes on the ground and hurried home. After a week, I was sure he was watching me. He had been a moment too slow, and I saw him standing in the second-floor window, the one on the eastern end of the house closest to the forest.
His face, in the brief moment before the curtain obscured my view, was troubled. There was a look of sorrow that made me wonder if someone close to him had just died. It was a quick glimpse, and I couldn't be sure what I had actually seen. I had to accept that it was probably my imagination. It was certainly a romantic notion, and I was in the habit of concocting wild tales about people based on the slightest interaction. Being ignored had turned me into a storyteller, and I enjoyed the romantic tales I wove. My head spun out love stories like webs to trap my loneliness. I was always lonely, and had hoped many times for companionship. There had been a few girls, new students who were nice to me at first, but dropped me without hesitation when they heard the stories, or caught a glimpse of Valencia. There was one in particular that haunted me, a girl named Christy. A perky name for a perky girl. Christy squealed everything that she said. She was easily confident and did not fall prey to the insecurities that were common for new students. She was certain that she would be accepted, and I was merely a bump in the road, a required irritation that would soon pass and be forgotten. She screamed in terror when she first saw Valencia. I had made the mistake of mentioning Christy the night before. I naively believed that she and I would become best friends. I imagined us giggling and walking arm in arm down the halls, a united front against the hostilities of high school. I think Valencia was excited for me. In her youth, she was surrounded by friends and adored by all who met her. The house was covered with framed photographs, snapshots of brief moments in her life that captured her happiness, her laughter, and her thorough enjoyment of everyone and everything around her. My lack of popularity devastated her, and it was made worse by the fact that she had already outlived her multitude of friends. She had once had hundreds of them, collected over the years like porcelain figures. The last one passed when I was ten. Valencia was 88 at the time, but acted more like a teenager. But something happened when that last friend passed. She seemed to shrink into a shell of her once boisterous self. She stayed inside the house and hobbled from room to room, muttering to herself. It was monotonous, almost a chant, and was composed of low, guttural sounds that came from deep in her throat. I couldn't understand many of the words, but the few that did reach me were disjointed and disturbing. That was when Valencia turned from eccentric to the kind of strange that people only spoke of in whispers. The kind that made the speaker pause, with a theatrical raising of their eyebrows. She became obsessed with finding me friends, which ended in a few embarrassing and futile playdates. She eventually gave up, too exhausted by her efforts to continue. The woman who had always seemed so vibrant and youthful had grown old in a matter of months. Loneliness ruined her. She didn't have my ability to withstand it. Valencia was waiting for me outside the main entrance of the school that day. It was Christie's second day, and the depth of my unpopularity was becoming clear to her. She was starting to distance herself from me in her polite way. It was a slow process that I would gladly stretch out for as long as possible. Her look of horror when she saw Valencia who looked more witch-like than usual with a smear of red across her lips, is seared into my mind forever. Humiliation filled me as she turned from me to the haggard crone on the sidewalk and back again. I have never hated Valencia as much as I did at that moment. I wanted to strike her wrinkled, grinning skull, barely covered in that thin layer of frizzled hair. Instead, I ran. 
I ran all the way to the house, threw myself onto my bed, and cried until Valencia returned home a few hours later. Christy was absorbed into the popular crowd immediately. They helped her through the horrible ordeal of seeing Valencia, and by the next morning she was all smiles and new friendships. She was the last new student I tried to befriend. There had been others. It seemed as if there were always new people moving into Crystal River. But I ignored their hesitant advances, let them flounder for a moment before they moved on to the next kid in line, a huge girl with man-sized hands and round glasses that were too small for her large face. She had permanent sweat stains under her arms and a best friend named Marjorie, which ranked her slightly above me on the popularity ladder. I was thinking about Christy the second time I saw Blade. He was hunched over the flower bed and pulling weeds. I'd seen his mom slaving away over her flowers several times as I walked home. She was a small, fragile-boned woman who wore a large man's shirt and faded black capris when she gardened. She topped them off with gardening gloves and a floppy, wide-brimmed hat. It hid her expression in shadow whenever she raised a timid, gloved hand in greeting as I slouched by with my bags. I would briefly raise my eyes to the eastern second-floor window and glance over her meek greeting before turning back to my flip-flops. Blade turned at the sound of my steps scuffing the dirt. He smiled and wiped his brow, leaving a brown smudge above his eyes that seemed to enhance his good looks rather than mar them. He dropped the pruning shears on the grass and walked toward me. I've replayed that walk in my mind a thousand times, slowing it down and savoring every second. Blade Connor was my first crush, and it began in that moment. He was athletic, about six feet tall, and a year or two older than me. He hopped the fence, took my bags from me, and we continued up the driveway. He flashed me another brilliant smile and winked. Miss me? I was too shocked to speak and just barely managed a slight nod. I could feel my face growing hot. He was staring at me with an expression that was oddly detached, as if I was an exhibit in an art museum, and he was trying to understand the depths and complexities hidden beneath the surface. Man, you are a quiet one. That's cool, though. I like serious girls. We walked on in silence. I didn't know what to say. I wondered if he had somehow missed seeing Valencia the first time he came to the house. That was the only explanation for why he was still speaking to me. But I didn't have to wonder for long, for as we rounded the bend in the driveway, Valencia came into view. My spine stiffened, and I felt an immediate urge to run. Blade placed his hand on my arm. His brilliant smile never wavered as we approached the old crone. Valencia's reaction was even more surprising than Blade's calm countenance. Her face started to stretch up into her usual hideous grin, but it faltered when her eyes landed on him. She hesitated, which was something I had never seen Valencia do. There was not a moment I could remember when she had not spoken her mind in her careless, brash manner. But she seemed to shrivel before Blade, showing all of her 94 years. We stopped to greet her, and she extended a withered hand cautiously. Her voice was weak and husky. I was horrified when Blade bowed and kissed her hand. But his smile never faltered as his lips touched the parched skin. But Valencia gave a yelp and pulled her hand away. She stared at him mutely. My cheeks burned with embarrassment and rage, and I quickly pushed past her and started back to the house. Blade followed. He turned once and looked over his shoulder and his smile grew larger. I turned. Valencia was where we had left her. She stood staring at the ground, and she was muttering.
I wanted to run into the house, lock myself in my room, and never leave again. Then Blade laughed, and my anxiety disappeared. We laughed all the way back to the house, where he stopped and handed me my bags. He smiled at me through several strands of golden hair. We should hang out sometime, Casey. Daytime's better for me. I'm free any time before four. I didn't know what to say. No boy had ever wanted to hang out with me. Usually they hurled insults at me while I walked by, pretending to contemplate my shoes. I thought my heart would pound out of my chest, and suddenly I couldn't breathe. Everything got hazy around the edges, and I felt the world slip sideways. Blade caught me as I fell and saved my head from the stone steps. He helped me to sit and sat down beside me. After a few moments, the world stopped spinning, and I felt a little better. I became aware of his arm lightly touching mine and his minty breath on my cheek. I stood shakily and went to the door. I couldn't look at him. I was absolutely certain that I was the only person in the world who had fainted because a boy asked me out. I went inside and closed the door softly behind me. I pressed my back against the ancient wood and waited for my heartbeat to slow. When I peeked out the window, Blade was already nearing the bend in the driveway. I watched him disappear behind the trees, then went out to collect the groceries I had left on the steps. And that is the end of chapter one, book lovers. We're just getting started with The Last Witch, and it's going to get good. <laughs> Storytime with M is back, hopefully weekly, but at least bi-weekly, and I will have a new chapter of The Last Witch for you next time. Take care of yourselves, book lovers. I hope you have a beautiful week. And until next time, keep reading. A Media Production.